It's Wednesday, F-19. Now, F, of course, is the letter for January. I'm Guy Adami, joined by Dan Nathan, and you're watching Market Call Charts. Dan, before we get into it real quick, wasn't there like an STK Charts, or is that STK Steak, or some restaurant in New York? Are you familiar with that? I think that's where we ripped off the MKT call there. Ah, right? yeah. Well, what do they say? They say imitation is the greatest form of flattery. We're doing a special today because Monday was... MLK Day, so we deservedly, obviously, everybody took a day off. Hopefully, you did some service that day. That's what it's all about. In just a few minutes, we'll be joined by the chart master himself, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Today's episode of MKT, or Market Call, is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And, of course, Open Exchange, because they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. It's been a short week for the markets, Dan, but already so much has been taking place specifically volatility yeah well you seem very volatile today which is the you know kind of commensurate with yesterday's price action i do think it was kind of interesting that you know last week guy we started monday off with that huge down day felt very similar to yesterday but we had that intraday reversal and i think investors for whatever reason were either covering shorts or they stopped selling in front of that you know that fed reconfirmation speech by powell and then we just had that rip and so to start this week off again let's see how it holds here today it doesn't feel like we have the oomph that we had off of the reversal low early last week. What's your take on that guy? Yeah, I agree with that. You know, rainy days and Mondays always get me down, the great Karen Carpenter. <laughs> but, you know, what also gets me down is the constant, you know, buy the dip crowd, got to buy every dip, and it's a buying opportunity and all that stuff. Well, we're going to find out in a hurry if that, in fact, is true in 2022. What I'll say is I think really what you want this week is a complete flush to the downside and then maybe set up for a decent March or February March. But what you're getting is, you know, these intraday or these early rallies, and then they start to swoon. If this market closes on the lows today, and again, we don't know what's going to happen, I don't think that augurs particularly well for the next couple of weeks. We'll see. The other thing that concerns me just a little bit, we talked about volatility, but the last time we saw a significant sell-off, I think on December 20th or thereabouts, we had a VIX that almost touched 30 and now we have a VIX that's sort of stubbornly around this 21 and a half, 22 level. So the VIX is not validating this market sell-off yet. We'll see what gives, Dan. Yeah, I guess, you know, a higher VIX. I mean, like, literally, we got to focus on the things that are going higher that are causing stocks to go lower, right? And one of those have been rates. We don't have to spend a whole heck of a lot of time on that. But, you know, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield getting back to that kind of very near that 2% breakdown. That was a low back in 2017. It was a breakdown level in 2019. And then obviously was rejected right around there into the pandemic. So let's see what happens if rates get there. I know you've been tracking the two-year Treasury that got above one percent for the first time in a very long time all of this stuff going higher the dixie kind of held that trend line a little bit with the u.s dollar index we have a chart of that and then we have crude oil and you've been all over that crude oil making what seven year highs if you think about it, just took out that october high who knows will we get a breakout here or not i'm just curious those three things forget the vix right now so yields dollar and crude all near highs here, at least 52-week highs. What is that saying? Is that why we've had this equity market volatility? I think so. And we've talked about it for a while in terms of what we we're expecting. And, you know, I mentioned volatility or lack thereof because I think vol should be significantly higher than we are given what's transpiring. But let's take them in order. I mean, the 10-year now approaching 1.9%, which is, and it's done it in a pretty swift fashion. So I think we're getting to 2%. I've said that for a while. 
I think that's top of mind. I'm glad you mentioned two-year yields because, as we mentioned a number of times, two-year yields were trading sideways for most of 2021. And from September on, they've basically gone up fivefold. So you've seen them from 20 basis points, not a north of 1%. You mentioned the dollar. It's interesting, the dollar as well. You sort of had this failed breakout to the downside on this trend line, and now we're sort of getting back on the bus again. The reason why the dollar, in my opinion, Dan, isn't significantly higher is because it's a relative thing, right? We have other countries acting in kind. By the way, German 10-year yields positive for the first time and quite sometimes something to keep an eye on because now the rest of the world is now fighting inflation, which comes in the form of the last thing, crude oil, which is back on its horse. I think you have a lot of people now saying triple digits. I've been in that camp now. It didn't look particularly good in the fall when you had obviously the Omicron variant on top of the SPR release, and you saw crude basically go from 85 to 60 in a straight line. Well, we're back above it now. So of the three things that we just mentioned, I think they all matter, and I think they all going to be sort of deleterious. Great word, by the way, for the broader markets. Well, we'll be the judge of that. We'll see how many people at you about your use of deleterious. You know, my, my take here, Guy, you had a really good call on crude. If you look at that move lower from those highs in October, it really did have to do with just the jawboning, I think, by the Biden administration, and you caught, you adequately you know, said they're shooting blanks if they're trying to take a shot at that SPR, that release of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It just so happened to coincide with the Omicron variant, which no one really saw coming. And then we did see a slowdown in activity and we're seeing it still right now. So I guess I'm hard pressed to think that the Fed has a meeting next week, guys. They're not going to change their tune. The stock market would have to go down meaningfully between now and then. Do you agree with that for them to kind of do an about face? You know, I, I, I agree with the fact that they're not going to change their tune. I disagree, and maybe I'm going to be wrong on this one, but I think it's different this time in yeah. so much as I don't think the Fed, or let's put it this way, I don't think the people that are overseeing everything that's going on right now are as focused on the market as they are on inflation. I think the one thing that want to combat now is inflation. This is different than 2018 when the market was, quote-unquote, the report card for the administration. I don't think this administration is as worried about the market as much as they are inflation. Now, to your point, that could change. If you see a one fell swoop of 15%, 20% downdraft, maybe we'll be singing a different tune. But right now, inflation is first and foremost on everybody's mind. Right. And so, I mean, that's kind of where I'm going, though, guys. So if they stay the course there, they're not worried about a NASDAQ down 10% from its highs, or the S&P down 5% from its highs, and they kind of stick to or accelerate the plan to basically raise interest rates. I know that we've gone from two interest rates to three interest rate hikes to five now is some expectations here. The Fed tracker over there at the CME is saying, what, a 90% chance or so right now of a 25 basis point hike in March, if that were to increase, I guess my point that I want to make right here, guy, is if we do see that increase, might we see the dollar rally also? Might we see the 10 year above 2%? Might we see that two year, you know, higher than where it is right now, above 1%? And then that's the scenario with oil. That's where I think oil comes in. And even though we're going to expect, you know, a, a global reflation trade or at least an increase in activity after Omicron, I just don't know how it rallies. So that's the one thing that I think we're probably at peak in inflation expectations. I think that's the one thing that people are not pricing right now for the back half of this year. And I am no economist. I'm just trying to be a little mean reversionist. How's that guy? Yeah, no. And you've been, you, listen, when crude had those two huge moves, they had two big moves this year to the downside and you caught both of them. And who's to suggest it's not going to happen again? I mean, we've seen it over and over again, just when you think we're about to break out. 
you have these huge downdrafts in crude oil, and you've called them. And you're probably right in suggesting that a firmer dollar would, again, sort of knock down this crude oil trade. What I will say, just to counter your counter, is all I think it's going to do is going to provide a headwind. I just think it's going to slow down the inevitable. But as they say, and I've said a thousand times, that's what makes markets, Dan, Nathan. Well, that is what makes markets. You know who's somebody who draws lines on charts, who makes his own markets, is Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. He joins us usually every Monday, right, for that. But we said that's why we're doing this special one on Wednesday. Carter, welcome to Market Call Charts, buddy. How are you? You know, I got to say, when I, you're almost like when two of you together, one's got the tie, one's got the blade. If you sat on the same stool, we'd have a full ensemble there. But it is one of the great duos of all time. It's Sabbath and Costello. It's Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers. It's Lewis and Clark here. So I'm happy to be on and wait, let's wait, uh, chop some wood. But here's a little inside sort of baseball. For 10 years, you and I did Options Action together on CNBC, and it used to come on Friday, or it still comes on. You're still on it. I'm not. comes on Friday at 5.30 right after Fast Money. So the Fast Money uniform was what guy's wearing right now, shirt, tie, yeah. no jacket. And then we were like this. We With were blazer. jacket. And this was... This was an unauthorized uniform I have on. It was Yeah, well, Amanda uh, Diaz like, cracked the whip on you. She didn't yeah, like yeah. the blue, the lack of contrast that you had working there. Well, let's get into it, man. What what is some of your quick takes? I mean, we you know, we don't have to go back to the charts on on crude and the dollar and on yields. Just give us your kind of like qualitative thoughts here about what's going on in, in those risk assets. Right. I mean, one thing to keep in mind is there is the analog in gold and interest rates where in, in 2013 Right, gold really plunged because they started moving rates aggressively higher, essentially 10-year yield almost doubling. And the message of gold is that we don't have a 2011-2013 analog and that rates basically aren't going much higher. At least that's what I see. So just to put it in context, we are sitting here at one spot eight five. On March 30, a year ago, so that's 10 months ago, we were at 177. So yes, one could say, well, that's irrelevant. It was up there 177 and it came down because of new variants in COVID. Now it's back. But at the end of the day, the cost of 10-year money is still basically, call it 2%. There is no difference between 2 and 1.8. And the throwing out of certain growth assets because of that doesn't make sense. Now, if you're one of these very high-flying stocks, yes, you can have multiple contraction and so forth. And we're seeing that. But at at the end of the day, I don't think rates are really going higher. I think the message in the energy stocks is that crude is at or near a peak. And when you start hearing targets from the sell side about $100 a barrel, it's usually right to take the other direction. Famously, one sell side firm predicted 150 at the last peak, and of course, oil drops to negative 40. Uh, stay away from that kind of thing. Now, listen, and I love everything about you, Carter. You know, and I look at this S&P chart, this SPX chart. Thank you by, for fact set, by the way, for these charts. I look at it and say this uptrend line has been broached. Now, we could sort of straddle it for a while, but I think that trend is intact now that we've broken the line. What's the next test? I look at the October 4th low-ish and say 4,300 is a reasonable level of support. What say you? I think that's exactly right. And I think it's also, it's remember how you come down to a trend line. So if you look at the other instances, if you come down fairly quickly, that's what gives you bounce potential. This time, we're kind of walking along the line. So the index itself, the yellow bars have slumped and the trend keeps rising. And so you don't get as much of a bounce when you've slumped down versus when you've come down quickly. And now we are, of course, just as 
guy has characterized it. We are breaking trend. We are breaching the lower band. So, Carter, talk to me a little bit about this, because, you know, sometimes I'm a real simpleton. You know that. You know, I mean, you did call Guy and me Abbott and Costello, I think. So I think we're- Well, you had other, you Lewis and Clark, come on. (laughs) (laughs) So talk to me about the upper bound that you had and then that kind of mid-range thing. And then we just got rejected from that one there. You know, that was kind of support, right? So then it becomes resistance. Talk to me why you decided to use that versus just kind of an upper bound and a lower bound. Right. Well, in terms of technique, the first line drawn is the one along the, the lower. That's what the trend is. And then I, to make it pure, I've not drawn a second and a third line. I've copied and pasted. So it's mathematically parallel. And the midpoint just happens to be the midpoint. And the upper band is a parallel line based on the lower, and it connects that one top. So you can draw your lines different ways. You could easily connect all of those highs since April a year ago. But the real point is, is it an uptrend? That's incontestable, it is. And two, is the uptrend under pressure? That also is the case. And so weakness from here, by definition, starts to define it as no longer an uptrend. And I think that's what's happening. Well, listen, you had an amazing call in the small caps. And if Dan and I are Lewis and Clark, that makes you Sacagawea, because you said that move in November was a failed breakout and that we'd have this sort of retest of the lows. Well. In the RUT, here we are, Carter. Here we are. And I just don't think it holds. We know that this is beta. We know it's cyclicality. We know it's heavy in banks. The weighting in financials is bigger in the RTY than it is in the S&P. And here's the thing. Banks, they're not acting well. I mean, all the hoopla, all the great here come interest rates rising and Jeffries, Cowan, Evercore have been rolling over for months. And the big banks were holding up. JP Morgan comes out, pulls up lame on its results. And Goldman, and not a one of them has been an uptrend for a while. It's the point of trend. And so the RTY, well, it's not only banks. It's basically stuck in a range. And weakness from here is not good. And by all accounts, that's what's coming. So, Carter, when you see, you know, numerous tests like you've had right here over the last year, you had that outperformance late in 2020 once we got the vaccine news after the election. And then you've just seen this crazy sideway action. And listen, I got to be frank, you know, Guy and I have been scratching our heads for the better part of nine, 10 months with with strategists and analysts coming on fast money, talking about the, the small caps and they're going to outperform and this and that or whatever. And you, I got let's be frank, you and I have been like, I don't know where you guys think they're going because they got nothing, right? So when you see all of these attempts at downside support, how do you think about, like, I know there's like this measured move concept. Where would you expect this to go on the downside? Well, in principle, and it would require a longer term chart, but you can kind of see it here. Do you see that pre-COVID level, just a few days there before the COVID plunge? The next reference point would be back to the level from which this index exceeded its pre-COVID high. And so actually this captures it very clearly, right? You have the the plunge in COVID and you have the unbelievable move where there was the reopen euphoria, the beta cyclicality euphoria, and now it's this unbelievably tight range. And you can stay in a range, but you can't stay forever, which is to say it's not an annuity, right? It's an index made up of operating companies that are either overvalued or undervalued, getting better traction, less traction in their various sectors, making more or less money. And so it's either one of two things. I think it's stuck in the range longer or we start to succumb, but not much. And this is the important part. 
would get this thing up on its feet and causing a breakout anytime soon. It's interesting. Dan mentioned, let's be frank. Well, Dan can be frank. I'll be Dean. By the way, they played together for the first time at the Sands Hotel this week in 1959. I've always loved Dean Martin, but that's neither here nor there, Carter. What is here and present are banks and bank earnings and everything that we've seen. Listen, say what you want about bank earnings, whether good or bad, doesn't matter. The stock performance post earnings has been dreadful. I mean, it's shocking. JP Morgan, which is the big one in many ways, he is Jamie Diamond, the JP Morgan of his era, the banker of bankers. But it is consistently acted poorly post earnings, like seven of the last 10 quarters. And yet again, it did it. Now, it's also one of the more expensive ones. We know if you just look at a classic price to book, and Guy has referenced that many times on air here, price action matters most, right? There's no such thing, and this is important to say, there's no such thing as good or bad earnings. There's only how the market responds. So if a company beats, guides up, tells about its highest gross margin ever, and it goes down, there was good earnings? One could say, of course they were good earnings. No, they're bad earnings. If it goes down, it's bad. It doesn't matter what, what the heck they said. In any event, here's an XLF chart. Now, it's in a way, it's a different kind of range, but it's an ascending range versus the small cap Russell. But here too, lines matter, lines give us reference points, and by all accounts, I think we go to the bottom of the channel. Yeah, so that that's a pretty well-defined, like you said, ascending channel here. But, you know, money's being made and lost. And, you know, I will just say this. We talked about this probably last week when you had this chart up. You know, I'm just hard-pressed into events. And this is just from a trading perspective. When you see the sort of move that we had in some of the biggest money center banks in the lead-up to their earnings, nothing good can happen. You know, when you're thinking about this group, it's not a particularly squeezy group in general on, hey, do something with that guy down. He's squeezy. Think about it. Give yourself 30 seconds here. But, you know, I, I just thought that, that that was probably set to come in. And I think that's probably the trade. And I will just tell you that JP Morgan down three days in a row after like one of the worst days it's had in 10 years on Friday down 6%. That's just really shocking to me. All right. Well, listen. We love earnings season because it gives us the opportunity to kind of make some predictions about what these companies are going to do and how market um, participants are going to react. Let's talk about tech. We're getting, you know, listen, the banks, they are what they are. They're kind of their, their own universe. They're like single digits percent of the S&P. We know that tech and the related industry are, are what, nearly 30% of the S&P, Carter? Netflix usually kicks it off. Give us your take here, because again, this is not one of the trillion dollar behemoths, but from a sentiment standpoint, it's always a usually interesting one to set the tone for tech earnings. Right, and so it's tech, it's media, it's consumer, it goes to a lot of areas of the market. So regardless of what we call it, how it's designated, and it has to be designated to go in an index or a sector as a certain type of business. But in terms of the pattern, I mean, what a testament and what an honor to the original book writers who were desperate to make their point in the 1940s. And so they call these things cups and handles, heads and shoulders, so the, the man on the street could see it. But it's not about what you call them. It's what reversal formations look like repeatedly over time. And look how symmetrical this is. And so you've had this round trip, 500 to 700, back to 500 which then calls into question the funny metals. Was it cheap at 500 and then it got expensive at 700 and now it's cheap again? Or maybe it was expensive at 500 and got more expensive at 700 and it's still expensive here back at 500. All that's nonsense. What we do know though, it's a very symmetrical formation and you fully round tripped to where the thing got going, where it effectively went up 50%. And my hunch is it starts to find its footing here. 
So if one is long at a minimum and has just suffered through the decline from 700 to 500, I don't think I'd cough it up here. You know, this is the kind of thing where you could sell maybe a, a put spread and take in premium. And if the stock gets put to you lower, okay. But my hunch is it's almost near uh, end. I'm with you on that one, CBW. A couple things. So Dan said, insert uh, squeezy somewhere. I'll mention that George <laughs> Jefferson called his wife Wheezy. So that's close. Of course, Paul Carrick, famous of the group, squeeze. And maybe Netflix would be better served if they were to come out with a series called Goldman's Sacked as that stock is under pressure. But I will say this, selling a put spread, you know, that 480 level, which was support all through the spring and summer of last year, is a perfect place for this to stop to your point. And I think there was a recent analyst downgrade suggesting 480 as a target. So there you go, Dan Nathan. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. I mean, like pressing this thing down to those technical levels, round tripping, doing the full round trip of the bottom end of the consolidation range from the year prior doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. I would mention this as far as the fundamentals are concerned. Prior to COVID, this stock couldn't get out of its own way. It had come in pretty hard. They had started like to kind of, they went X growth in North America as far as subscribers. They're, you know, they saw, um, you know, a traumatic pickup of uh, usage and a lot of subscriber growth during the pandemic. So maybe there's one guy down here that brings it down to that lower end. All right, Carter, let's look at the NASDAQ 100, though. We know about six or seven names make up about 50% of the weight of the NASDAQ 100 here. We have a one year chart. You see the trend line. I drew it. It's not as good as yours. We have that 200-day moving average down there below it. What's your take right here? Because, again, we're going to get Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Tesla, NVIDIA, and those are the big ones. And if they all went the same direction, we're going to have a massive move one way or another after a 10% decline, whether it be if they were all the kind of maybe got marked down enough and they have decent stuff to say, we're going to be back towards the highs. But if they were all to kind of say, you know, have a similar theme to them, we're going to be through that 200-day moving average. That's right. No, the line is quite right. I mean, let's, to be clear, so here's about trend lines, just as an aside, sometimes people will connect two points. So here's the trend. Well, you can connect any two points. So that's not a trend. You have to have three. And the more you have, the better the trend. And so, Dan, you've connected four, which is quite good. And it's also depicting the fact that we are breaching breaking below the trend line. So the reference points, of course, would be the prior low from three, four months ago and or a moving average, in this case, the 200. But the 150-day moving average, which uh, has passed the test of time, has already been breached. The trend line has been breached. And I think it's asymmetrical. If these companies that drive the QQQ come out with good results, I think it'll be enough to maybe keep it from plunging. But if they were to say something all unhappy, you're talking about you can have 5 and 7% immediate downside. I think for you fans of market call, of fast money, of on the t- whatever we do, you'll come to realize that, you know, people make fun of me because I'm old. So it stands to reason that I will do the segue to old technology here because what I find really interesting is old technology is actually done pretty well recently. And I think that comes in the form of people trying to find reasonable valuations as they flee from some of these high growth, high valuation name. The first chart, beautiful by the way, is Dell. Lower left, upper right suggests that maybe this trend is intact, Carter. And what's remarkable, of course, is just as you described it, as opposed to so many things which are breaking trend or on the cusp and flirting with a breaking trend, this is making new highs. So just simple relative strength to large cap tech. Also, 
remarkably, of course, Dell, because, you know, he obviously invented this and then made a lot of money and then took it private. And now this is the second iteration. This current iteration of the publicly traded DELL stock is not in the S&P. It's not in the S&P 400. And yet it's 30 billion market. This is the definition of up and to the right, north by northeast, higher, steadily higher, but never gets extended. And that yellow arrow, which is parallel to the trend line, is trying to make that point. It's stay long, be long. You know, it's funny, Carter, you mentioned the second iteration as long. I remember when they were trying to take it private, I feel like in 13 or 14, reading a stat that over the lifetime of the company, they had bought back well more than the current market cap that they were taking it private at. Okay, so just think about this, right? And then the stock was down like 50% from its all-time highs. And you think of just the value destruction that this company had, taking their cash flows, buying back their own stock, taking it down. Well, maybe this is how you know he gets his other billions here, the second iteration, second life. Let's talk about this. You know, and guy, you know, we poke fun here and there. You've actually had some really good calls on old tech. You know, Oracle, I think you were calling calling 100 since it was in its 60s last year. But IBM had a big move last year. Cisco had a big move late in the year. Carter, what's your take on you know IBM here? Obviously, you see when you pull that one up, pretty well-defined downtrend over the last few years from those highs here. But it's kind of trying to peak up above that downtrend. Is there anything there? Well, that's right. So the trend is well-defined. It's connecting multiple points. So it's valid as a trend. And just as you've characterized it, the stock is probing and poking above that downtrend. So the question when you have something like this, to move above a downtrend is often the beginning of an important move. But what you really want, though, is not a lot of congestion overhead supply. And that's really the issue with IBM. There's stock ahead. And it's a slow-moving kind of business, if you will, or operating business and stock, low beta. And I just don't think it has a lot of upside. So it's more of a hold, I would say, if one owns it, a proper hold and not a euphemism for sell. Let's take a quick look at Cisco. I love that proper hold. I mean, you are something else. But Cisco, I mean, it's like we're going back in history here in Cisco. It's remarkable. It is remarkable to think that you could have that kind of wealth creation and destruction all in a matter of two-year period and to be that far below your prior peak. And so just to think about adjusted for inflation. Adjusted for inflation, Cisco's down 80-something percent or, or more at its lows and now climbing back. Whereas IBM doesn't have a lot of way forward, I think this does. This is a good setup, and there's not a lot of stock ahead, and I would want to be long. Perfect pair straight, in my mind, long Cisco short IBM. All right, that's what they call in the business a good segue here. Let's go to our breakout, breakdown segment, Carter. You're looking at a couple names here, one in the biotech space and one MetLife, I don't even know. I'm, I'm looking at that thing. Maybe MetLife. Is that a is that a biotech stock? I know that MetLife is an insurance <laughs> company. I think I have to pay closer attention to Amanda yeah, Diaz when we're going through the rundown here. I'm just going to kick this over to you, man. I need here we a go. save. Here we I go. need a yes, save. Yes, please. So, I mean, we got a couple charts. And the first is it's ever thus trying to make the point that it doesn't matter, despite what many will think, what the company does. And that, I know that's a great anathema to the CFA side here. People are in their MBA program, but the great quant models don't do that. They look at parallel lines. What does MetLife, one of these lines, have to do with Selenese, a chemicals company? Nothing, but the setups are the same. So let's look at the two individual charts. They both uptrends and they both are toying with the prospects of breakouts. So the first one I think we have here is Selenese. Now let's go back and forth before we detail. Selenese, MetLife, Selenese, MetLife. And if we can do that, 
it's as though the screen didn't change. That's the point. So if you look at Celanese, we have an uptrend as distinct from QQQ breaking trend. This is toying with the prospects of breaking out. They think it will. Now look at MetLife. How can a life insurance company look the same as a chemical? Because that's how patterns work. And this also is acting very well. And I think it breaks out. But these are stocks that as distinct from something that's breaking or rolling over, I would want to be long versus something that obviously has a different circumstance or characteristic. So this is going to be hard for people to digest, but I'm going to try to put this out there quickly. When the whole Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing broke, there was a picture up basically in newspapers within a day or two of the two of them embracing on sort of some some line, you know, some rope line. And you think about the thousands of pictures they needed to go through to find that. I mentioned that because think of the hundreds, if not thousands of charts Carter just had to go through to find the similarities between two stocks that have nothing in common whatsoever. It's brilliant work and you're exactly right. And see what I did there? I'm tying all these world things together, Carter Braxtonworth. I see it, I love it. Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, I think we have intuitive surgical real quick. Let's take a look at it because this has broken trend. That's right. And so one could say, yeah, but it's, it's too late to act or thanks a lot, it's done. But that's not the point. Trends matter and how you behave at trend lines matter and breaking trends matter. And yes, one could say, but these are talking about idiosyncratic. These are the only guys with that robot in the operating room, which is pretty clever when everyone else has got a butter knife and a magnifying glass. You'd rather have the robot. Yeah. But guess what? Maybe it's expensive. Maybe it's got competitors coming. Who knows? What I see though is bad day-to-day price action, break in trend, Sell, not buy. All right, last question here on this chart, because sometimes you hear things, and again, you are the technician, chartist extraordinaire. You hear there's no such thing as like triple tops or whatever. That looks like a triple top. Talk to me like about that, because fail breakout, and then are you pressing that thing? Is you know, like is you, if your work was telling you, okay, didn't go up through there the third time, do we press it down to that uptrend? You bring up a great subject, because one could say, wait a minute. Didn't ISRG take away the last four weeks look exactly like the other two that you think are going to break out? Listen to price. There's nothing wrong with being wrong, only staying wrong. So if you are playing a stock for break and it starts to act like RSRG, at a minimum, some people say we should buy more. You really like it. Oh, it's down here. We like it more. That's absurd. Take measures. Get out if you're wrong. But failed breakouts, and this is interesting, are some of the best shorts. So if you have something that starts to break out and doesn't, Russell 2000, go after it the other way. Now, this one never did break out, and that's important, but the breakdown is is not good. Well, I try to be true to our 30-minute edict. And by the way, I had a ruptured appendix in 1980. One of these days, I'll show you my scar. I think they used a butter knife because it's nasty, Carterworth, but there's nothing nasty about what you do. So thanks for joining us, and thanks for making time on this Wednesday. You are the man. Thanks for tuning in to Market Call Charts. Today's episode was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet and Open Exchange. And oh, by the way, if you like what you saw, be sure to tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. You will get CBW post-weekend when he does all of his work. Dan and I will be back tomorrow for Market Call Street Research with Liz Young of SoFi. We'll see you all folks then. See you then. Bye. Oof. 